Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. In today's episode, I'm joined by Kevin Boyle. Kevin is a co-founder and the CEO of Gearset. And through the episode, he tells us more about what first attracted him to studying computer science, how he found his way into the DevOps space initially, and then gives his explanation as to what DevOps actually is or means for anyone listening that's still a little unsure. We then look at some of the misconceptions about DevOps, how he first identified the need for DevOps tools in the Salesforce ecosystem, and then how this space has evolved ever since. We look at how companies that are maybe still using chain sets to deploy can look to move to DevOps tools and how they may benefit from that. We then look at why DevOps isn't just for developers and technical people, and then how he keeps up with the evolution of the Salesforce ecosystem with his product and business. We look at some of the things that are exciting that's coming up with the business and what most excites him, and really, really get some good insight into running a business like Gearset. So really, really interesting episode. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. So Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. We're going to hear about the world of DevOps today, which is definitely a hot topic in the Salesforce ecosystem. But before we do any of that, I'm going to ask you some questions a bit about your background. So yeah, thank you very much for for being on the show. Thanks very much for having me, Ben. And thanks for uh, making space on a a Friday evening in, in Sydney. I'm sure you're ready for the weekend. So really appreciate it. Yeah, well, like I said, lockdown's got me not doing much over the weekend. So this is the highlight of the weekend. So yeah, thank you again. <laughs> Let, let's start with a bit about you. So you studied computer science. What was your attraction to, to that? And what, what did you initially want to do with your career? Where, where did you see yourself going? Yeah, I'm sort of your absolutely classic geek profile. So I'm from a really big family. I've got five brothers and four sisters. I'm the youngest brother and a bunch of older brothers that were uh, very into computers and into software. Uh, so I grew up in a house, you know, always sort of surrounded by technology and tinkering with things. So my first computer was in the UK, you had these things called Amstrad CPCs. They were like these really, really old, uh, like sort of tape-based machines. Uh, so that was the first computer we had in the house. And what was awesome about computers of that era was to do anything, you were kind of dumped out to a programming language. You were dumped out to a basic prompt to do anything. And all I want to do is play games on them. But to play games, you had to sort of learn a little bit of programming uh, just to get through to Dizzy or whatever it was you were trying to play. So yeah, I was just sort of exposed to programming, really, really like that. And then, yeah, sort of through high school, I just keep playing with computers and building PCs. So I don't know, when I, came, when I went to university, I was either going to do physics, because I loved sort of space and astronomy stuff, or else computer science. And computer science was sort of the sort of easier option nearly it was the sort of obvious <laughs> option so so when when you completed your your computer science degree what were you hoping to like were you interested in particular areas of, of engineering and programming or computers and technology in general or was there a niche you kind of were targeting not really i just wanted to be really good at programming so i did an internship during university with microsoft first in dublin and then in seattle and just that like ignited, I guess I'd always loved programming for the sake of programming. I wanted to be really good at that thing. I found it a deeply enjoyable activity. 
And then when I did my internships, I was working on the office team, but it was not like the sexiest part of the office organization. And it was still amazing the impact you can have when you write like great software and the number of people that that can cause to do their job or write their homework or whatever it is, like the impact that office has on the world is uh, for, for good or bad, it's, it's certainly an impact. And so that then I wanted to get out of university as quickly as possible. So I finished off my degree and I, I took jobs with like increasingly small companies where I had more and more of an impact on writing the software and getting close to customers and understanding what their problem was. And that sort of like shifted me away a little bit from programming for programming's sake and over to, you know, programming to write products to help people. That was sort of the, the shift and an evolution in, in that way. Yeah, nice. So had you, at some point, did it trigger in your mind that you did want to build a business or, you know, build a product of your own? Yeah, probably product more than business, if, if I'm totally honest. I sort of throughout my, the early years of my career, I, first of all, as I say, really loved software engineering and still do. Love working in a team to build great software. You know, that that for me is the really fun thing about when you get a group of people working together to create software that's like a, a fun pursuit and then yeah the product stuff came next where i started to i started to have like a real external focus i would speak to users of the software that i was writing to understand oh it doesn't work in this way oh cool well, well what were you actually trying to achieve with it like what were you what were you actually doing when you use this thing that i like hacked together you know or like if this bug is causing you frustration in your day like ah, oh, you really feel it like you really feel it oh my god this thing that i've done it's 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 blocking this person it's blocking their job so i so it was that real human side of it that i loved and then the product fell out of that so then it was like okay well so the next evolution was to do some product management and understand how to really talk to people about when they like do a feature request or something, what do they actually mean? Like, what are they actually asking for? You know, don't deliver the thing they ask for, but understand what problem they're trying to solve and sure. and build product around that. So that that all came next, and that's still that, that that's my true love is is product development and, and understanding how to build a product to help people. And that that's what you know we've done with Gearset is the entire company is aligned around that. It's it's a product company first and foremost, so that the company exists to deliver a product that helps people yeah nice and we'll get on to um kind of how that that came to be but first i guess devops and the world of devops like how, how did you come to find your way into that space and then eventually to go go on to build a, a business in that space but what was the kind of moment that that devops became your path it was probably a combination of a, of a couple of different things so as i say growing up i was always tinkering with computers and building pcs and networks and infrastructure and kind of like that hardware side of things and then as i say i love building software as part of a team and i want to be good at writing software and a lot of that is using tools to help yourself be effective to write great code and write great code as a team so you know really learn how to use editors well learn how to use source control well all of that sort of stuff so i, I got to really experience the impact that great tooling could have on your team's performance I love all the stuff that the guys at JetBrains do. If you've come across their IDEs like uh, WebStorm and folks in the Salesforce space doing things like Illuminated Cloud, I love that, like a culture of a culture of excellence in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so that all came together. I was working for a company in the UK called Redgate Software, and they built 
DevOps, before it was called DevOps, they built the release management and deployment solutions for the Microsoft platform, for .NET and for SQL Server. And so I was writing those products. And, you know, that was a, a bunch of technologies I was interested in at the time. And then a problem space I was really interested in. And then it was, it was building products for people like me as well. So I kind of got the user profile a lot. I could really understand like, oh, I, I really understand the impact of this product. And so all of that came together to what I do now, you know, helping development teams and ops teams work more effectively. My next question was going to be like, if you're if you're at a barbecue and someone um, <laughs> asks, asks you what you do for a living and you say, oh, I kind of, you know, you, you, you mentioned your, your product, but you say it's in the world of DevOps and someone doesn't understand what DevOps is. What's the best way of summarizing DevOps? Yeah, sort of depends what a barbecue is. So I live in Cambridge, which is full of, uh, you know, lots of nerds. So if you go to a barbecue here, you can probably just say it straight. But if, if I'm at home or with my family or whatever, or folks that, that aren't in the tech world, I'll tend to say it as, so my most basic pitch is f- folks doing a job need great tools to do that job. So the same way a carpenter needs a hammer um, or a saw, uh, software developers need great tools as well uh, to, to build, to do, to do their thing. And so that's what GearSet provides. And then if I was, you know, for your audience of Salesforce developers and admins, DevOps is all about helping software teams collaborate. It's, it's a mixture of things. It's, it's like a cultural change, a set of processes, a set of tools, and it's all coming together to help you build your solution more quickly, get it to your end users more quickly, and then understand if it's actually solving the job and feed that back into the product development lifecycle. So you, you sort of reduce that, you know, time to value, you reduce the time from the idea until your users are using it, and then you get it back in. And it's all very closely related to sort of agile software development and this idea that we want to get things out to our users quickly, the smallest usable thing, get it delivered, get them using it, and then understand how it's performing so that we can make it better in the next iteration. Yeah, nice. Um- I, I still think in the Salesforce world, it's an area that's kind of being understood rather than it's already understood. And I think there's, you know, obviously some people really do understand it. You know, there's there's experts in this space, but there are still people that it's kind of a new concept and, and new tools and so on. So are there any misconceptions in your opinion of the whole DevOps piece, like whether that's tooling or, or Salesforce specific or broader across the DevOps ecosystem? Yeah, I think there's a, a bunch of misconceptions because it's a it's a sort of an ill-defined term right like it comes out of the idea like that you used to have development teams and you used to have ops teams and you know the two would not talk so there's the the folks running the software racking up servers there was the folks writing the software and you know never the two would would cross paths like that's where it came from was about breaking down those silos well those silos don't really exist in the salesforce world to the same degree right like salesforce are racking the servers for us so we don't need to worry about that sort of stuff to begin with so it's a slightly different thing in the Salesforce world. In the Salesforce world, it's about building out solutions in a robust way with the team collaborating together and getting those things out. So you've got a really predictable, really, really predictable software delivery cycle on top of the Salesforce platform. And I think the biggest misconception within you know the, the Salesforce realm is that it's a piece of tooling that you bring in or that there's an end state that you reach that you now have DevOps, as opposed to it's a philosophical change about how you approach your development, how you get your teams working together, and how you get that nice predictable delivery on top of Salesforce. So I think I think it's that 
it's that common misconception that DevOps is a single thing that means a single thing. You know, a company adopts DevOps and that will be the same at each company. Whereas mm-hmm. actually it's a it's it's understanding what it means for your team how you, you know, you want to work together, what you're trying to achieve, and then bringing in a process and set of tools that supports that. So you're, you're not from a Salesforce background. So how, how did you identify the need for a product like yours in the Salesforce world? Yeah, I'd say we were, I was working at Redgate Software here in Cambridge and Redgate's an awesome company. I had a fantastic time working there. It's Cambridge is full of lots of smart folks, uh, lots of smart software engineers and Redgate had lots of smart software engineers and smart software engineers love inventing things and they sort of think nothing else is good enough. And there's loads of homegrown things at all these companies and Redgate was no exception and had a homegrown CRM because we'll, we'll do it better. And it's like, this isn't, this isn't a core competency of this company, right? Like they definitely shouldn't build their own custom CRM. And so that thing scaled for a few years and then they bend it and brought in you know, Salesforce, the, the thing they probably should have brought in to begin with. And as part of that implementation, maybe a, a little bit differently than a lot of other companies uh, of their scale, Redgate worked with a great SI here in the UK, Make Positive, and also put a bunch of their own folks onto it, a bunch of their own software engineers. And through that process, we sort of saw the power of what Salesforce was. Like I got firsthand, oh my God, this isn't just a, uh, this isn't just a CRM or a SaaS application. This is a whole platform that you can build your entire business on top of. But man, the, the development experience and the ops experience was really very painful, you know, going back from the nice CI and CD workflows that we had on other platforms and adopting Salesforce where, you know, change sets was kind of the best answer or dropping you out to an ant script at the time um, was just so painful. So you had this mismatch of this awesome platform that could do so many powerful things, but then was backed by delivery pipeline that was you know prehistoric compared to compared to all the things that we were used to. So we identified the need. And I guess we 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 were building tools like this for SQL Server and .NET. So we kind of thought, okay, well, there must be a really great Salesforce CI solution out there. So we started looking around and couldn't couldn't really spot anything that we thought was you know really great, like a really great product in this area. And so that was sort of identified the market opportunity and went out and said, hey, are we are we crazy outliers or other people suffering from this problem or other people happy with change sets and maybe we just don't know how to use them effectively? Like what what is it? Went out and spoke to lots and lots of Salesforce users and admins and developers, big companies, little companies, just start chatting to them, connecting with random people on LinkedIn and saying, hey, I don't know a lot. Would you mind giving me a half an hour of your time to teach me? Spoke to lots of folks and saw that there was a, a problem there that we could solve. So set up gear set to solve it. So did you, because like you said at the time, it was, you you saw the opportunity, but was it obvious to other people? And, you know, was, was the market crying out for this or were people just, you know, just happy with what they had at the time in terms of like, what? why hadn't someone else done it, I guess is my point. It, it, did it take a software engineer coming in with an, an eagle eye looking and saying, this could be done so much better? I'm not sure. I guess the, the metadata API wasn't that old. The platform, I guess Salesforce's rate of evolution is so huge, right? It wasn't that many years before that it was more of a CRM and, and well, like broad CRM SaaS application. And it hadn't moved into the true platform stage. So I think it was, we, we just caught it at the right moment. I, you know, I don't think it was any sort of unique insight or we're amazing product folks. I, I don't, I don't think it was that. I think we were, 
in the right space, the right time, and had the right backgrounds to spot that there was a, a different way you could approach this problem. And then, yeah, in terms of folks wanting it, yeah, everybody we spoke to had this problem. And I'd done a bunch of product development in the past and on other platforms. And, and what's interesting is if you take something like if you're going to do a DevOps tool for AWS or a DevOps tool for Azure or something, there's such a variety in requirement for each of those customers. Like some folks are using AWS in this way. Some folks are using it in this way. They have this pain that, you know, there's a lot of variety and variability in what folks want from it. Whereas when we spoke to Salesforce users, everybody had the exact same problem. It was the exact same set of issues, the exact same common challenges. So that gave, gave me personally a lot of a lot of reassurance that, that quitting my job was a good thing to do. Yeah, and I guess you, you're going direct to one problem, right? If everyone's facing the same thing, you, you know what you need to address immediately. So it kind of makes solving that problem easier. Yeah, I think so. It gives you them to focus on. Like lots of product development stuff is all around focus. Uh, so choose the thing you want to solve and then execute on solving it excellently. And it sounds really simple, but like saying no to things is the thing that you need to do that requires the most discipline and rigor. Like, mm-hmm. what are we not going to do? What are we not about? And stripping that down to the thing that this is the thing we do. This is the thing we are going to help people with. And so if you have an audience that all have the same problem, it becomes easier to find that focus point. And so that was really nice in the, in the early days of the company. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I didn't have a clue what DevOps was probably five years ago. You know, I'd, I'd been recruiting in the Salesforce ecosystem for a year. All I'd heard of was change sets. Yeah. And then I spoke to a guy that, that was passionate about delivery and he was from a development background and placed him into a role that required him to, to be involved in, in setting up how a massive, massive organization delivered. And then that's when, for me, DevOps started to become a thing. But you know, it's evolved massively in the last five or, or six years and from what I've seen. But what about from, from your side in terms of the Salesforce world and, and, and now how Salesforce is, I guess, adopting DevOps? Has that kind of been a surprise in your, your view or, or did you know that would come as soon as they had the right tools that you were providing? Yeah, I think, I think it's an inevitable consequence of larger teams working together to build software. You're, you're going to need this kind of tooling. So I don't think it's anything unique to any particular platform. I think it's a collaboration problem. Ultimately, it's a collaboration and process problem, and then tooling helps help solve that. So I think the, the big change came when Salesforce themselves started to recognize the, the way that their platform was going to gain market dominance and really be a a massive competitor to Azure or GCP or AWS, not only in the application space where they're obviously the market leader, but in the general purpose platform space was by addressing some of the underlying uh, issues in, in, the, in their delivery or DevOps or ALM or whatever you, know, whatever you want to call this. And yeah, when, when Salesforce started to care, and obviously they have a a marketing machine, unlike anything else, when they started to, you know, we'd been talking about version control, sort of shouting from, from over here, like as loudly as we could, you should adopt version control, you should adopt version control, your life would be better if you use version control. And we, we were making it, we were making good inroads, but then Salesforce get up at TDX and say, you know, version control is the source of truth. The org is no longer the source of truth. And then overnight, just the, the ecosystem starts to, ah, well, 
version control sounds like a good thing. We're like, yeah, we've been saying that. So yeah, and then that was sort of, again, keys to the right place, the right time. Salesforce educates the market and then they go out to look for solutions and find, find gear set. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there are still companies though using change sets. And I find, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to answer the question because I'm probably wrong, but it te- seems to be smaller businesses, right? So companies, maybe not smaller business, smaller development teams or yeah. smaller people working on the org seem to still do change sets. At what point does it become, you know, absolutely a requirement no longer to do change sets and to, to look at products? I, I would say that's almost from the get-go. So I would say any team using, and this isn't bias in that like gear set as a solution to this problem. I think if you're using change sets, you should certainly investigate and educate yourself to the alternatives. You know, I think a lot of folks reach for it because it's there. It's sort of a convenient, comfortable solution. I think it's probably, it is certainly on you to, to understand why you might not want to use change sets and what you might get. So if you, were to use something like GearSet as a sort of drop-in chain sets replacement, like don't change your process too much, just, you know, use GearSet to do it, then you get something that's as easy to use as chain sets, so a really similar process, but a lot more powerful in terms of the bypasses a lot of the UX issues around Salesforce, like having around chain sets, having to click through page after page, having to like maintain an Excel spreadsheet of what components you've changed, overriding each other's changes as you move them between environments, all that sort of stuff just goes away. You start to build up an audit trail of all the different uh, deployments that you're doing. And ultimately then when your team does reach that scale where, okay, now we need a, you know, a full end-to-end release process that supports 10 or 20 of us working together. Chain sets are a dead end for that, right? Like they, they, there's no way to move from, you know, five people using chain sets to 10 people using version control. It's, it's a total restart of your process. Whereas if you bring in something like GearSet, you'll have a drop-in replacement for your process today. And then as your team inevitably scales, you'll have a, you know, a solution that will scale with you. Uh, so I'm not just saying it because, you know, I'm CEO of GearSet, but genuinely, if you're using chain sets, you should certainly understand why you're using chain sets and why you're not using something better. I'll admit that I've been having some work done on my Salesforce org and I'm using chain sets. I'll completely oh. hands up. I'm not technical at all and I, I'm, I'm a certified admin, but you wouldn't trust me to, to, to change a page layout. So that's as far as, um, you know, you, you just wouldn't trust me with your Salesforce org. Can, you, person- can you use chain sets? Uh, well, this is the funny thing. Someone else is doing it for me. So I've okay. got, a, I've got a, a, someone working on my Salesforce org, but I'm accepting the, the change set. So I, I go right. in I, the inbound change set. But the funny yeah. thing is the, the guy that's doing the, the changes, he is a really experienced Salesforce architect and he is not using change sets in his day-to-day job and watching him now use change sets again, it's like he's pulling his hair out. He absolutely hates them because it's so much easier his day-to-day job and now having to come back and use change sets in my org i can see the frustration so i imagine a lot of people that you know once they move away from change sets never want to move back no it's it's a burial backward step yeah although if, you, if you're a certified admin if you're comfortable making changes then you can absolutely use change sets right and if you can use change sets you can use gear set or, or the other options that are out there there's a bunch that are sort of like easy onboard options for for this stuff um i obviously think gear set's the best one because well, why wouldn't I say that? Of course. Um, but if, if you can make changes to your Salesforce org confidently, if you can, you know, all of the things that you're doing, you can identify the components that have changed and move them between two environments yourself, you can do it. 
Well, we'll see. But uh, that was going to be my next question, actually. Like, how technical do you need to be? And I think when people hear DevOps, and, and maybe not, I think if people hear the, the names of the products, they might be a little bit more comfortable because they might have kind of seen them before or sure. they've heard about them. But when they hear, oh, you know, have you worked with have you like any DevOps tools or what do you know about DevOps? Um, a lot of Salesforce admins say, you know, they think that's not their area or they think that's a technical area and it's for developers. So, so how technical do you need to be to, to use tools like uh, GearSet? Well, I don't think you, you do need to be. I think, because I think, I think it's critical that you, I think any solution to this problem that doesn't involve everyone is inevitably going to fail, right? So the whole point of DevOps as applied to any platform and certainly as applied to Salesforce is it's, a, it's around being inclusive it's the whole idea that you know we're we're a team. It's a team sport. We need to work together. So if you have a fractured process where some folks are outside of the DevOps process, some folks are either using chain sets separately or relying on their colleague to migrate their changes from from their environment through the, the various stages before it gets to production, then it's inevitably going to fail. That's that's kind of my my fundamental sort of belief and tenant is that this this has to involve everyone on the team. There's the solution can't be too technical. And so it goes back to what DevOps actually means. And I think it's a it's such a it's such a nebulous term. It means lots of different things to different people. And, and obviously the team that your friend was working at that you know had 40, 50, 60, 70 developers and admins all working together, some architects and release managers and delivery managers, the, the type of process that team needs is so different from a team of two or three, right? So it's mm-hmm. about understanding what that team needs and putting in place the right process and uh, tooling to support that. But for me, the technology is kind of a, as an industry, I think we tend to love overcomplicating things. We love lots of complicated acronyms and make things sound very grandiose and complex branching strategies and all that sort of stuff. But you can simplify it all down and get to the heart of what are the problems your team have in getting software built on top of the platform today and how can a new tooling or process support that? And it it needs to not be technical. It needs to be something that everyone on the team can access. Sure. And and you mentioned earlier the speed that Salesforce evolves and, you know, they, I guess they've, you know, I'm not a software person, but to me, it seems like they've set the bar for the amount of releases and, and you know, the, the amount of just change that they're able to ship and, and develop in, in, you know, short periods of time. And I guess software companies like yourselves are expected to be able to get things out quickly now in, in this day and age, probably for, for the whole of the, the time software is being shipped. But how do you keep up with a company like Salesforce? Yeah, Salesforce has an amazing release velocity for the scale that it's operating at and the ambition of each release. The number of things that are like in winter 22 is just across the platform is is incredible from from that point of view. From the actual like velocity thing though, you know, as as a DevOps company, we don't just provide DevOps solutions to our customers. We practice DevOps and live it every day ourselves. Uh, So we actually release three or four times each and every day to all of our customers globally. That's the kind of release velocity that we're we're going to. And that's not just like little minor patch releases where you don't notice things getting updated. We are releasing new features just all the time. New features, ideas, refinements that have come in from our users. Our, Our engineers speak directly to our users all the time. 
you know, they'll do like if it's a minor feature request, they'll they'll have it out in sort of 72, 96 hours. And if it's a bigger feature that goes into like a product development workflow, and again, like a crazy long time frame for us would be something in development for uh, like six to six to 12 weeks. If we had been writing code for six weeks that we hadn't shipped to real users, that folks were actually using it and giving us some feedback on it, we'd, we'd be getting real antsy. We'd be like, oh, this isn't, the, well, we'll have, we must have done something useful in the last six weeks we can ship. So we, we're shipping three to four times a day. That's the kind of rate that we go to. And then how we keep to Salesforce's sort of quarterly release cadence, we obviously stay on top of all the preview orgs, Salesforce for partners, um, and ISVs have a, a bunch of things where we get, you know, even access before the the preview stuff. Uh, so we we stay close to that. And then and then we obviously know our, our counterparts over there at Salesforce and, and understand what their roadmap and trajectory looks like so that we're we're ready to make sure the gear set's supporting uh, supporting that platform when it when it gets the customers. And I, I heard, I'm not sure if it's yourself or your business partner, but has like an open mic um, or open like forum uh, once a month or what, like it's a regular just where they're online. It's like I said, either you or your your, your business partner just accepting customers asking questions. Yeah, we, we actually both do that. So I, I do like an office hours thing just on Twitter where anyone can contact me. And then, but Matt has a regular schedule thing where that's booked in every month. You, we want to speak to users all the time. So there's, there's sort of like the, the few different ways you can do it. There's the users that reach out to us and that's like awesome, right? Now there's a conversation about whatever they're struggling with. Then we'll proactively go out and target groups of users based on you know what we've seen them doing in the product or based on their company size or whatever it is where we'll reach out to them and say, hey, you got a half an hour to give us um, to talk about some things. And then we have those regularly scheduled things that are set up basically like recurring webinars and office hours and drop-in Q&As for folks that are like a little bit more passive and, and they want to just click on the invite and maybe the first couple they'll come to, they'll lurk and listen and then they'll sort of see that actually we're genuine about this. We genuinely want to talk to you. We genuinely want to understand what, you know, your team looks like and what the challenges are. And if gear set's great, we want to hear that. And if gear set sucks and it's hard for you to get things done, we want to hear that. We just want to speak to our users and and find out, you know, how we, how we can help them. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I mean, I, I've not heard other companies do that. I mean, obviously, there, there's certain initiatives, but to have that much of an open door policy has obviously really benefited you as well, being able to hear from the horse's mouth from your user base. And over the years, what have been, you know, some of the, the most enjoyable moments or the biggest challenges of running a, a product business? That's a great question. It's a real ups and downs things because it's the amount of work you have to put in to get something like I'm sure it's the same for any company. It's not just a product company. Creating any company, creating something from scratch is, is so hard. It requires so much of you and you you put so much of yourself into it. Like and I think that's probably true of anyone, maybe not just companies, anyone trying to do anything new. I think that's probably true. You have to, you know, most things fail and that, that's okay. So the idea of putting yourself through that and busting through all the obstacles to get it going, that 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 was it's been a it's been ups and downs. So some of the ups are, you know, the first time we went to Dreamforce as an exhibiting vendor has to be, you know, one of the most fun, hectic weeks of my life. Cause you go and, you know, from the from the attendees point of view, it's like, oh, I'm gonna go up to the vendor booth and there'll be swag and stuff. From the vendor's point of view, especially us, we were a seven person company when we first went. And if you're seven people, Manning a seven-person booth. You're working from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. 
you know that that's it that's what you're doing and we were staying in this like airbnb 45 minutes away from Moscone, and you were sort of dragging yourself in on the on the train early in the morning uh whatever you call the, the San Francisco underground the part and yeah. um it was that was like 5 a.m there's some photographs we look back on now where it's like us at 5 a.m with like or like bright super bright orange t-shirts you know that are going to be on the ex- exhibition floor looking all happy in a few hours but on the train at 5 a.m you, you don't look that happy <laughs> so all those like farming experiences were, were really really great and meeting our users for the first time folks coming up and telling us making that human connection on this software had completely changed how they did their job or when we would folks would go past it's like hey how's it going how's your dream force have you heard of gear set no i haven't heard of gear set of course you haven't we're a brand new company cool come on let me show you a demo because we're all about the product so it wouldn't be let me talk to you about the business value that you'll derive from gear set it's like hey let me show you a quick demo do you use chain sets and we take them through like on a on an ipad we take them through it and like the number of people are going wow that and it'll show you all the differences so i don't need to oh wow those moments were they were such they were such a validation of all the work that we put in so the lows are when things are are just you feel you're not making progress and then the highs are just all my highs are around either stuff we did together as a team or else meeting real users and understanding how it had changed the way they work those those were definitely the highs of, of doing gear set Sounds like some journey. So your personal role has evolved as well as the business has grown, right? So you, I'm guessing, obviously you, you were working in product prior to starting the business and like, were you back like bang on the keyboard like to start the business? Were you really heavily involved in the engineering piece? Yeah, from the, from the get-go. Well, at a blended role from the get-go, it was all product development. So it was me and a few others at the very start. So Andrew was writing code from the get-go, Matt, Luke, Ollie, there was, there was a bunch of us that were writing code and then also going off to do product management calls and try and meet users and try and meet MVPs and get feedback on what we were doing. So yeah, it was sort of, it was quite erratic hours at the time, depending on which time zones I was speaking to folks in. So it was either get up early, write a load of code and then spend the second half of my day doing product management or else product manage in the morning and then sort of write code to 1am. But yeah, it was, it was everything. When you're a seven person company, you're, you're doing everything, you know, you're yeah. buying machines, you're setting them up, you're, you know, doing the like lunch run that it, it's really, you're doing everything. Um, and that was true. Not me. It wasn't like a hero effort. We were all doing everything. We were all writing code. We were all writing marketing copy. We were all building websites. We were all just doing everything. And now obviously CEO of a, a company of 130 ish people, do you still get to do some of that fun stuff that you, uh, you you enjoyed from day one? Not during my day job. On the weekend, I will still write code. That's as sad as it sounds. But if I'm doing something that I find really hard, like really, really hard, and I feel like I'm not making progress or, you know, whatever it is, at the weekend, I'll write code because that reminds me, oh, there's there's something here I'm not too bad at. I'm, I'm okay at this. Uh, so if you ever get that like imposter syndrome or a bit, a bit of like self-doubt, then I'll go back and write a little bit of code at the weekend. So I, I still do a lot of our, our own internal Salesforce stuff. So a lot of our sort of, because my role now is a CEO. I've got a dual role of CEO and head of sales. So I've done a lot of our time doing go-to-market and working with my uh, team leaders on sales and marketing and customer success to understand how our customers are finding gear set, how they're going through that trial and what the onboarding implementation looks like and working with some of our most strategic customers to understand 
what are their ambitions with Salesforce over the next 18, 24 months and, and how can GearSet support them, you know, in getting ROI from that investment? So I have a lot of those types of conversations. And so through that, I get exposed to, oh, I really understand here. If we could tie this data set to this data set, or if we can take the telemetry from these systems and pipe them in so that we can get these, you know, nice overviews of, of how our users are actually using the software. So I'll do a bunch of that stuff on the weekend just because, you know, it's a fun thing to do if you're, if you're a bit of a nerd like me. But in terms of my actual day job, like I, I can't allow myself to do that stuff whilst the company's paying me because it's just too tempting. It's too tempting to fall back in the stuff you're good at when yeah, you're trying yeah. to, you know, make progress in the stuff you're not so good at. Yeah. And and final question for me, what what are you most excited about about the future of the business and uh, and running running the company as a CEO? Oh, just <laughs> terrible answer. Sort of everything we're doing, the GearSet has just been a constant story of change. So we've doubled every year and we're on track to do that again. So that's, you know, more than doubled headcount, revenue, everything every year. The ambition of what we're trying to do, you know, the in the next uh, few months, some of the product announcements that we've got around our pipelines thing, where it's more than visualizing, you know, a flow of change through a set of environments. But how do you really get teams delivering change across the whole suite of what Salesforce now is? So there's a whole bunch of product stuff going on there. There's there's a bunch of like under the covers things. So the, the metric that drives our product function a lot is this idea of deployment success. So we we actually measure every single deployment that happens in GearSet, which is many, many hundreds of thousands a month now. And we track which ones fail and which ones pass. And then for the ones that fail, we look in at, you know, anonymized and an aggregate for what those failure reasons are. And we bake intelligence back into GearSet to make sure that the next time that user does that deployment, it doesn't fail. And th- these are things that are caused by new features that Salesforce released quarterly, whatever it is. There, you, you see we hotspots of failure that creep up and that's that drives our product function. So are our use, fundamentally, are our users successfully moving changes from one environment to the next? And, you know, the sort of data we gather is if you're doing this with change sets, it's about 50-50. So that if you're using change sets or ant naively, about half the time it works. With gear set, we've got that up to about 95%. And so everything we do and all the new things that we bring out are all underpinned by that intelligence into the platform. So we, we keep making advances in that. But yeah, and then from the business side, we've just opened an office in Chicago about six months ago. Um, that's been really fun scaling that up. We've got some amazing folks who've joined the team there. And I'm really looking forward to getting out to see them because obviously travel is difficult at the moment, but we've had our sales leader come across. I've met him in person for the first time. We've been working together for the last six months over Zoom, but we got to meet and go out for dinner and drinks uh, this week, which was a lot of fun. And I'm going to go to Chicago in Q4 for sure. I don't know how I'm going to get, but if I have to swim, I am going to get to Chicago uh, in Q4. So that's the other sort of big thing I'm looking forward to. And are we going to see you personally in Australia at some point? I would love to go. Yeah, we've got a bunch of customers down there and a bunch of folks I'd, I'd love to get a chance to meet. Because I'm waiting for to see what Salesforce do with the world tours and thing. It would be really nice to get out to, to one of those if, if they get kicked off again. Yeah, um, nice. it's a It's a very long way away, Australia. <laughs> you guys are down there enjoying the sunshine, keeping it all to yourselves. It's a, it's a long old trip, but I'm, I'm sure we can find a reason to do it in, uh, next year. Oh, nice. Well, fingers crossed. And uh, obviously, we've got the, the new Salesforce Tower opening here at some point. So yeah, hopefully that's going to attract more and more people. And uh, yeah, it'd be a great time to come over. So hopefully we'll get to meet you in person at some point. 
But um, thanks so much. I've uh, I've really enjoyed chatting about DevOps, which is uh, something you know I, I, a few years ago I wouldn't have uh, known that I would be saying. So really, really interesting insight from yourself. And uh, thanks so much for telling us about your journey. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talent Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. Um, we're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible, and your reviews will help us do that.